I was going to teach on Jacob and Esau tonight. I was planning on doing that. We're going to bump that to next week. That's where we're going with Jacob and Esau. We're going to do a big mix-up of, it's going to look a little different next week, but we're going to cover the whole journey of Jacob and Esau next week. But tonight, we're going to back it up a little bit further, and we're going to look at Abraham and a man named Abimelech. It's Genesis chapter 20. If you got your Bibles, which I hope you do, please turn to it. Genesis chapter 20. As you're turning there, I want you to think through this question. If you have a notebook, if you're able to write this down, I want you to think through this. I don't want church answers. I want you to really think about it from your own thought process. What is your answer here? What is sin? What is sin? When someone says, I have sinned, or someone says, you have sinned, or if someone says that you have sinned, like it's a, it's a noun, what are they saying? What is that meaning as a person? So think about it. Take 15 seconds. What does it mean when someone says the word sin? What does it mean when someone calls you someone who is a sinner, someone who has made mistakes? What are they saying? If you got a pen, you can write it down what you think it is. Nate, perfect. Nate throws it out there. He's like, I ain't got a journal. I'm just going to shout it. Okay, yeah. A bad thing. A mistake. What do you think? Anything that goes against God, that is sin. What else y'all think? What do y'all think is another definition of sin? Right here, what you got? Sin is all the bad things we do. Y'all got an idea of what sin is, right? Everyone in the room gets an idea that sin is when we do something that's against God's plans or we do something wrong against God. Or if we sin against a person, that's also sin. Y'all get that, right? Y'all with me? Tonight, we're gonna talk about the slipperiness of sin, the seriousness of sin, and ultimately, hopefully, we'll be able to talk about the forgiveness of sin. But it begins with a man named Abraham. So in Genesis chapter 20, I love this story. Oh my goodness, I love it. It's so good. It says, from there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negeb. Everybody say Negeb. Yeah, if that's how you say it, cool. If it's not, we're going with it tonight, okay? Travel to the territory of the Negeb and live between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. Everybody say Gerar. Gerar. You know, I feel like it should be a tiger emoji next to the name Gerar, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. Y'all get it. You're with me. Okay, chill. All right. So Abraham settles in the land of Gerar. Gerar, all right. He lands there and he meets somebody. Abraham said of his, of his of, or sorry, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, do y'all know who Abraham is? Yeah. Abraham has married a woman named Sarah. And they are, I think Abraham at this point is almost 100 years old. He's like 99 years old. And uh, his wife Sarah is with him and they are unable to have children. They've been waiting and trying for years. And God promised one day they would have a son, but they have struggled. They're still, they're almost at 100 years old and they've been unable to have a child. That's their situation. Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, when you talk to them, say, basically, she is my sister. He says, tell the people when we show up in the neighborhoods that you're not my wife, but that you're my sister. Kind of weird, right? 
Y'all can see an issue forming there a little bit? Yeah, a little spoiler warning coming of what's about to happen, yeah. Abraham rolls into town. He meets this guy in the next verse right here. He says, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So here's what I was thinking in my mind. I was thinking, there's this guy named King Abimelech. He sees Abraham and Sarah walk into their city, Gerar. He sees them walk in and he says, I wanna make Sarah my wife. And that's because he heard from the rumors around that Sarah is the sister to Abram, not the wife. Y'all see the dilemma there? So Abraham and Sarah are married. Abimelech wants to take Sarah and make Sarah his wife because he thinks that they're just brothers and sisters. Y'all are with me so far, correct? So Abimelech, in my mind, I was thinking, I wonder why this king is wanting to marry, you know, someone who's getting on up there in age, you know? It's not like, you know, it's, you know, because she's super cute today or something, you know? Like, why is he picking her? And in my mind, I was thinking it might be because Abraham has been blessed by God with so many possessions. He would like to welcome Sarah into his family and be a part of that blessings that he's got. I don't know exactly why. Maybe Sarah was still just like, you know, the prettiest woman in town. He was like, I want to go get Sarah. I don't know what the reason was exactly, but Abimelech was going to make her his wife. So this is what happens. He takes her, he brings her into that situation where they're about to become husband and wife. But before they make that decision, before that happens, the Lord visits Abimelech. Verse three, but God came to Abimelech, King Abimelech, in a dream by night. And he said to him, behold, you are a dead man. I mean, what a dream to have, right? I mean, you're like, we're getting right to the point here, aren't we? Okay, perfect. Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken. For she is what? Yeah, she's married. She's another man's wife. You were trying to take someone to be your wife who is already married to another man. He says, because of this sin, because of what you're about to commit, adultery, because you're about to commit this sin against me, you are a dead man. I mean, that's strong. Y'all okay over here? Y'all like laughing and going? Y'all with us? Y'all, y'all good? All right, let me make a chicken. All right. Now, Abimelech had not, this is what he said, because you have taken someone else's wife. Number, verse four. Now, Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, meaning he had not, he had not made her his wife yet, He's in the process of it. And so he said to the Lord, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Will you kill, basically saying, Lord, are you gonna, you're gonna kill me? You're gonna cause me to be a dead man because of this? I'm, I'm innocent. I'm doing nothing wrong. He doesn't realize that Sarah is married to Abraham. He's like, I'm not doing anything wrong, Lord. Did he not himself, this is what Abraham says to the Lord, did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself even said, he is my brother. And this is what it says. Oh, this is so good. If you're taking notes, write down these two phrases that, uh, that Abimelech says to the Lord. He says, in the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Let's break that down. The integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands. What Abimelech is saying to the Lord He's saying, my heart is clean. What I'm doing is with good motives. I'm not doing anything wrong, Lord. I have a good heart here. 
And then he also says, I also have clean hands. So I have a clean heart and I have clean hands in what I'm doing right now. Like I'm not trying to go out and do something wrong. I'm not trying to be wicked or evil in this. I have good intentions and what I'm doing is a good thing. And this is really cool. The Lord affirms part of what he says. Listen to what the Lord says in verse six. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart saying, yes, I know you have a clean in this Abimelech, but it is I who kept you from sinning against me. You know what God is saying? He's saying, you can have good intentions. You can have the, the right heart in something, but still do something wrong. You can have good intentions, a good heart in it, but still be guilty before the Lord. I think about if I were to walk down the street and I were to see someone who wanted something to eat and I didn't have any money, he didn't have any money. And when I said, you know what? I can get him something. I'm gonna go over here to Chick-fil-A. I'm gonna sneak in, put the little mask on. I'm gonna steal me a spicy chicken sandwich. Maybe two, one for me and him. We're gonna have lunch. I'm gonna share the gospel with him. This is gonna be good. I stole the chicken sandwich. I go see the guy. I share the gospel with him. You know what that is? Good intentions, right? Sinful, because I stole from Chick-fil-A. That's wrong, right? You can have good intentions and still do something wrong. Listen here, you can be having an argument with your mom and dad and you can have good intentions. Like, no, no, I'm not trying to do so-and-so, but you keep raising your voice and back talking to your parents and you can say, even though your heart was good in it, you are still guilty because you are being dishonorable to your parents. Y'all are like, well, okay. You know, like I get it, yeah, all right. Does that make sense? You can have good intentions, you have a good heart and you can have good motives, but if you're doing something that is going against what God has commanded, it does not matter. You are still guilty. I love this part in the story because Abimelech tells the Lord, I have, clean heart, I have a clean heart and I have clean hands. And God says, yes, you have a clean heart in this, but your hands are not clean. They are gonna be guilty if you proceed. How good is God that he warns us? How good is the Lord that he warns us? He has given us an entire 66 Bibles of the, or books of the Bible so that we might have warnings of how to walk as the, as the church today, how we should live with the Lord. He has warned us of what will happen when we fall into sin. We keep reading. He says, therefore, I didn't touch her. Verse seven, now then return, oh, sorry, Yes, is that right? Am I in the right spot? Therefore, I did not touch her. Verse seven, now then, return the man's wife for he is a prophet. If you're taking notes, this is the first time the word prophet is ever used in the Bible. First time the word prophet is ever used in the Bible and it's used to de, um, describe Abraham here. He calls Abraham the prophet. So then he says, return this man's wife for he is a prophet so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, if you do not give Abraham his wife Sarah back, know that you shall what? Die. You will die. I mean, come on, these are like hard consequences, right? Y'all with me? I mean, like, I mean, it's not like you're like, man, I cheated on that test. And they're like, give me your hand. You know, and they're like, I'm about to take that thing off. Like that sounds extreme, right? But the Lord is saying this sin, this consequence will cost you your life. We continue to read. 
Verse eight, Abimelech has woken up from this nightmare he has just had with the Lord. And the next thing he does, he goes and meets with the people in his city. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and he called all his servants and told them all these things. He's getting some good counsel. And the men were very much afraid. The people of Gerar are terrified at what they've just heard from King Abimelech. And then Abimelech called Abraham and he said to him, what have you done to us? What have you done to us? Can y'all just get this picture for a moment? The pagan king Abimelech is calling out the prophet Abraham saying, what have you done to us? The pagan king Abimelech is calling out the godly prophet Abraham for his mistake. What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that made you do this thing to us? What made you want to curse us, hurt us, damage us? Why did you do it, Abraham? Oh man, Abraham gives a lousy answer, man. I get so, you read the Bible sometimes and you're like, man, if I could just go back in time, I would talk to Abraham the night before this happened and be like, you need to come clean, buddy. You know, that's what I would have been. I would have been, you need to come clean, buddy. You know, I would talk to him. Abraham says to Abimelech, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in the place of Gerar and they will kill me because they want my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And so we're kind of distant relatives. She became my wife. And when, here's what, man, this is so bad. I mean, he blames God. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must show to me. At every place you come, say that he is my brother. Has this happened before in Genesis for those who've been reading with us? It has? What chapter did it happen in? Do y'all remember? Close, not 13, it's close to it. Back it up once. Wow. Yeah, 12 is what it is. Yeah. This same story is, is, is basically in a smaller version happens in Genesis 12. This was a sin for Abraham and Sarah that they did all the time. They allowed it to sneak into their life. They became comfortable with their sin and they were cool with it, man. They allowed this to be the normal routine for them. When they roll into a new place, they would not walk in faith with the Lord, but they would walk in fear of man. They would not walk in faith with the Lord, but they'd walk in fear of man and they would lie. They would tell a lie to the people there to cover themselves so that things would go hunky-dory for them on their journey. They didn't have enough faith to trust the Lord in the new places they were going. I don't want to walk in fear, man. I want to walk in faith. And Abraham, was, here's what's so unique. Abraham seems like when God would call him to do big things, he would take these huge leaps of faith with the Lord. He's like, I want you to leave your land, your family, your kin, your home, all of it. You're going to go to a place I'm going to show you. And the, Abraham's like, well, let's go tomorrow. You know, let's go. And he does this. And you're like, now, Abraham, if you could, if you could just not cheat on that test. And he's like, I don't know, man. I'm going to have to cheat on that. I don't know. You're like, what in the world, man? You was walking in faith big time. And on the small everyday things in life, you're walking in fear. You're missing it. 
We learn from them, right? I don't want to make the same mistakes that Abraham made. Then Abimelech, verse 14. Are y'all with me so far? Y'all tracking so far? All right, verse 14. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham. In Genesis 12, what was the promise that God made him that's fulfilled right here? Genesis 12, God made a promise to Abraham that we still fulfilled in verse 14. Well, I don't see a son in that one, but I don't see that one. All right, it's okay. It's okay. We ain't got to go there. It's cool. I just want to see if y'all knew it. Um, Verse 14, it gives him all these things. Verse 15, Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. So there's peace between Abimelech and Abraham. Sarah, he said, behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. Before everyone, you are innocent or vindicated. You are, you are just, you're clean, all right? Verse 17, Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and the female servants so that those who so that they were able to bear children again. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. This is what's wild. The irony in the Bible is rich. The prophet Abraham has been trying to have a child with his wife, Sarah, for 25 years and has been unable to. Yet when he prays for Abimelech, King Abimelech, the whole household of their whole family, their wombs are open, they're able to have kids again. Isn't the irony in that? When they've been waiting so long to have children, yet Abraham, we've seen this moment here with sin, a mistake. The Lord uses prayer to reconcile them, but then the man Abraham is the one who allows them, the vehicle that the Lord uses to bring children back to the house of Abimelech. I mean, it's just this radical change that you see. Isn't the irony of that the pagan king is the one who calls out the prophet Abraham for his sin? Isn't it ironic that the prophet who's supposed to walk in faith, proclaiming faith, is the one who's walking in fear? There's a mix up here, guys. If you're taking notes, I got three things real quick, real quick, and I'll be done. Number one is this. Sin is slippery. Abraham told one simple, small lie that he thought would have zero consequences, but in the end, it led him down a road of trials, correct? If he would have just walked into town and was like, yo, this is my wife, Sarah, and you can hurt us if you want to, but the Lord has really sent us here and we are walking with him and the last people that came up against us, it didn't work out so hot for them, so you pick your battle, but we'd love to hang out and be friends, you know? That's walking in faith, right? Right? But man, the dude walks up and he lies about it to them. And because of this rabbit trail of consequences happened down the road. Sin is so slippery. You can slip into it so quickly. You see it throughout all of scripture, man. It would be multiple stories where someone just makes one simple mistake and then three or four more come afterwards out of that one spot that made made the error. I think about David. David was supposed to go out with the kings and fight the battle. You know what David does? While everyone's off at war, fighting the battle, David kicks back in his palace over on the far side of town, just chilling out, relaxing while all his boys are off at war. And while he's up there, he looks around and he sees this real pretty woman out on her roof bathing. And he says, I want you to get me that woman. And so he goes and gets that lady. She's married to someone else. 
But David doesn't care. He commits adultery with this woman named Bathsheba. They end up having a child together. He's nervous he's gonna get caught about it. So what David does is he goes and has his husband or her husband, true husband, murdered on the battlefield. This is King David. The man of faith walks in fear. Wrong place, wrong time led to a series of mistakes. He was in the wrong place. That was the first mistake. The end result was murder and adultery. Guys, sin is slippery. I'm not gonna lie. Like you can, you can tell yourself, I'm, not, I'm gonna get a phone, but I'm not gonna do anything wrong with this thing. I'm gonna try to be a, above reproach and honor my parents with it. And then you make one little mistake here and one little mistake here. Next thing you know, you're sending things or asking things or requesting things from people all over you. Like, how did I get here? It's because you messed up over there. And you just constantly slid into a trench of sin. Students, sin is a real serious thing and it has slippery, slippery grips on your life. I think about this. When I was in middle school, my mom, I, I wasn't a sneakerhead back then. I'll be honest, I was pretty, uh, I was pretty cheese. I ain't gonna lie. I, didn't, I wasn't a big sneaker guy. And, but what I did though is I, I saw some new Nike shocks. You ever seen Nike shocks before? Let me show you. Y'all gonna love this. We got that picture? Oh, yeah. These were the jam back in the day, now. Now I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Where can I get those? We can stop by somewhere and pick them up on the way home. Whites with the blue and match my Memphis hoodie. I mean, I was looking clean back in the day. I remember, uh, I remember my mom, I told her I wanted some new shoes. She, she drove me from Tipton County to finish line up here at Wolf Chase, which is about an hour drive from where we used to be. It was a long drive, y'all, I ain't gonna lie. And my mom, she bought these shoes for me, like hundred bucks. And she was like, hey, now listen, these are your school shoes. Don't be wearing them outside to play in. And I was like, yes, man, whatever, you know, yes, man, okay, we'll keep going. Get home. I'm wearing them around the house because I'm like, we're breaking these bad boys in, you know, I'm just having fun, you know? My friend Danny comes over. He's one, the guy that I rolled the house of last week. Remember that guy? Yeah. yeah, Danny, yeah. Danny back in the house. Danny comes over. He's got his mud boots on. He's like, you want to go out to the creek and go hang out? And I was like, yeah, boy. And I was like, check out the new kicks. So, you know, I strolled right outside of my kicks, my white tinny bops. You know what I'm saying? I was rolling. I was rocking my white tinny bops. We went outside into the... The woods area, we was hanging out, we was kicking it. And uh, we came to the creek and we were just gonna cross the creek and keep going. No big deal. There's been no casualties of war at this point. I'm cool. I was up along the bank side of the creek. I knew I couldn't get across. He had the mud boots on, let him just go walk right through the creek, but I had to go around the long way. And I was like, all right, no problem. Just wait for me for a second. So I snuck around the side. And next thing you know, I'm like walking on the side of the, the creek. You know, the creek's over there. I'm on the little bankment. You know what I'm talking about? It's not muddy which is a good thing, right? It's just dry right there, but the creek's real close. So I'm walking, I'm grabbing on the little trees to make sure I've got my balance. And there was one tree that was standing up and I'll, I'll pretend like you were the side. I went to touch the tree, grabbing it. The whole thing was rotted. It broke off as I took my step. My left shoe, that happened to you too? Yeah, You've been there, huh? That's why they're so messed up. I'm so sorry, man. Ripping the chat. All right. My left foot, boom, right into the mud. I mean, it was caked up halfway up the shoe. White kicks. Yeah, it was white. Those are the white Nike shocks. It was those right there. That was the same shoe. You know what I said? Can I tell y'all something? Here's the deal. I can think of two times when I made this mistake my entire life. Two times. This was one of them. 
My left foot landed in the mud. I looked up to Danny and I yelled out an inappropriate cuss word right into his face. I'm not kidding. Here's the, I'm not telling you because I think it's funny. I'm telling you because I made a mistake. Two times in my life I know I've ever made a mistake of saying something I shouldn't have like that. That was one of them and it sticks me. I can go back to the very moment in my mind where I know I stepped in it and I know I regretted it. I couldn't get that word back. Danny, my best friend, saw me make a grave mistake to, my, to him. I was so embarrassed. I don't do that. I don't say those words. Those are inappropriate. My dad told me when he got saved, he quit cussing for the rest of his life. And I've never heard my dad cuss and I never want to do it either. And that moment right there, I hit my foot in the ground and I just let out something I knew I shouldn't say. Students, if I would have just put my mud boots on instead of wearing my Nike shocks, I would have never have gotten to the earful from my mama and I would have never have embarrassed myself from my friend by making a grave mistake, grave mistake by saying a word I shouldn't have said to Danny Potter. Students, sin is slippery. One little mistake over here can lead to a canyon of sin over here. Y'all get that, right? Sin is so slippery. But number two, sin is also so serious. It is so serious. Why in the world is it that when God shows up to Abimelech in a dream, who's about to commit adultery with a woman, the first thing he says to him is, behold, like, he's like, hey, listen up, buttercup. I got something for you. He says, you are a dead man. He says, you're a dead man. And when I thought about that, I was like, man, Lord, that's kind of harsh. But here's what he's saying to him. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden by disobeying God and the aid of the fruit, they were cast out of the garden for eternity. And the consequences for their sin were eternal. Whenever Sodom and Gomorrah were a pagan and wicked city, God said, I'm not gonna just sprinkle some discipline in there. We are utterly destroying them off of the planet. Whenever Noah was living in a world of just absolute wickedness, God said, I'm not just gonna discipline them for a moment. No, the consequence for their sin is death and everyone on the planet will experience it except for Noah who is walking blameless before me. God takes sin so very serious. Sin is not, I heard this from a guy, this isn't me, this is someone else. Sin is not a pet to tame, it is a beast to slay. And what he's saying is, so often we bring sin into our life, like it's just something no big deal. Like we're just chilling with it, like we're comfortable with it. And we think that we're in charge of it. And God's like, no, 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 you have made a grave mistake if you think that you are comfortable with sin and that's an okay place to be. He says, sin is a beast to slay. And it is a serious one that needs to be dealt with. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That's the bad news, y'all. But I got something for you. I got something. This, check it out. It verse does not end right there. It doesn't finish with saying, man, the wages of sin is death. And he's like, all right, close the book. We done for the day. You know, that's not where he finishes. He says, the wages of your sin is death. Yes, 100%. There's a big cost for your sin. And that cost has been a man named Jesus Christ. He says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Students, I'm telling you right now today, 
Our sin is slippery. Our sin is serious. But the best news I can give you is that your sin is also forgivable. If the prophet Abraham can be forgiven of his mistakes 5,000 years ago, then surely enough, the church today can be forgiven for our mistakes today. God loves you. And when he wants to extend forgiveness, it is a permanent forgiveness. I want to show y'all a clip real quick of a TV show. Y'all know it's The Chosen. I want to ask you a favor. Sometimes when I show videos like this, people want to clap and cheer and all that stuff. I just want to ask you a favor. Tonight, if you could just turn your attention to the screen and just be silent with us. There's a story where Mary has ran away from God. She's a believer. She follows God. She loves God. But she's had a moment in her life after being a believer where she just blew it, y'all. She ran away from God. She rebelled back into her old ways and she has sinned against the Lord. But look at how Jesus responds to her in, in her sin. In this picture here, you see Jesus comes to someone and absolutely totally forgives them. I mean, fully forgiven. Was Jesus like condemning Mary? Was Jesus condemning Mary? No. What do we see from Jesus in this? What did y'all see? What did you see right here in this story? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. What else did you see? What kind of, what, what did Jesus show to her? What did he, what did he show? Love and unconditional love. Like he doesn't care if you've been, you've had the best day today or the worst day. He's like, I love you no matter what, Right? What else? Compassion, grace, 100%, both of them. What'd you say? Mercy. Mercy. He was what? Man, he was serious about it. Like it wasn't something he was just like, oh man, it's no big deal, Mary, don't worry about it. He was like, no, it's a big deal, but like it's been forgiven in full. And also see a fresh start. A fresh start for Mary starts right in that very moment, right? It's almost like, if you had a messy whiteboard, you know, it's all filled up with all this junk. I love it. In my office, I have a big whiteboard. And when it gets filled of all that just nasty leftover marks of things, I go through, I squirt it with the water bottle thing, a little, I don't know what it's in it, and take a rag and I wipe it down. And that thing is as clean as could be. And I'm like, I don't even want to do anything to mess this thing up. You're know, like, I don't want to like, you know, I want to keep this thing. As, I'm like, we're not writing on the board, y'all. And they're like, it's what it's for, right? And I'm like, we're not writing on the board. And that's how the Lord does sometimes. When he wipes your heart clean, when he wipes your slate clean, when you come to him in repentance and say, Lord, I'm sorry, man, I've been blowing it. And to be honest, I wouldn't even come out of this if I didn't get in trouble with my mom and dad last week. And it kind of was a wake-up call for like, man, I got things I got to deal with. And the Lord's like, hey, yo, 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 I know you messed up. I know it's a big deal. But dude, I forgive you. It's gone. Don't think about it. It's dealt with. What are you going to do now? How are you going to live for me now? God visited Abimelech in a dream to warn him not, not of what was going to come in life around him. He warned him of the sin that he was going to commit. That's what he was doing. Warning him, not that, oh, dude, hey, I just want you to know, like, there's a bad storm coming tomorrow. School might be out. Hey, man, don't worry about this. But when you get to college, like, you're gonna have to pay for your own tuition. Like, he's not warning him of, like, life stuff. He's warning him of sin. God chose to visit Abimelech in a special real way to warn him of sin. Because he said, what you're about to do is gonna have some real life consequences, bud. 
Students, where right now in your life is God visiting you in your heart, in your mind? What is God saying right now? Saying, hey, I know you got a lot going on in life here, but the thing that I'm concerned about is dealing with this area, this sin in your life. I'm here to warn you of that today. What sin is he warning you of? Don't say it out loud. Think about it. What sin is God warning of today saying, dude, the consequences, if you continue this path, are gonna really mess you up, bro. They're really gonna steal, kill, and destroy what the Lord has planned for your life if you continue. What is it? 